I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. With me today on More Than Profit, uh, Patrick Henshaw and Rebecca Brown-Rice. Uh, so Patrick is the managing director of Render, a public benefit corporation in Louisville, Kentucky, and Rebecca is the new director of product. And so excited to kind of talk with them about like what is Render, uh, why Render needs to exist, um, and what it's hoping to accomplish in the world, and specifically in Louisville and Southern Indiana. Uh, but first off, like with More Than Profit, uh, we like to learn a little bit more about the individuals behind the stories. So I'm going to start off first with Patrick, because you've been around, I think, uh, Render longer. Um, talk to us a little bit about kind of where you're from. Uh, I think in, like most people, you're not from Louisville. Um, you are originally from Texas. But how did you actually come to be in Louisville? And uh, what did you do before? Render. So we'll keep the uh, the podcast short and not have me fill the entire time with this answer. But <laughs> I say that because my wife and I are at we're at twenty addresses in twenty years, right? Goodness. So born and raised in Houston, Texas. Uh, didn't grow up in a fantastic neighborhood. Moved once because less kosher back then. But got out of the city. Um, went to West Point. Traveled around the world. Did everything from looking for roadside bombs in Afghanistan to helping two-star generals. Uh, interact with uh, Corps of Engineers and with uh, congressmen and women, and then got out and started my own thing. Three different companies, uh, from bootstrap to venture-backed, uh, and then moved from San Francisco to Cincinnati um, to help build and grow a corporate innovation fund of funds there called Centerfuse, $115 million now under management there, um, where we helped pair corporates with startups and get access to early-stage capital, and then moved here, and now have been building and growing the render team for, I think, almost a year now. I know, it's awesome. Coming up on it. <laughs> well, I want to I want to point on one thing. Like um, right before the podcast, we were talking about one of the accomplishments of your mother. Mm. Yesterday, you were showing me a picture of your first venture. Yeah, when you were I think you were like <laughs> six years old. Um, but when I think people hear your resume, sometimes it's it's not like the normal pathway for innovation entrepreneurship. I mean, you big bureaucracies, U.S. Oh, yeah. government. So, where talk to us about that spark? Like, what led you to to do this? And and talk to us about your your mom and her influence as well. Yeah. So, no questions asked. My mom was a huge influence in my life. Uh, one, her curiosity, and two, her tenacity. Um, so, grew up in a military family. She was actually born in Osaka, Japan, hmm. um, and then led most of her like early childhood life in Lawton, Oklahoma. <laughs> the, I know. The, it's another connection <laughs> backyard of, uh, of Oklahoma. Uh, Where my mom grew up. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's <laughs> they went exactly. to two different high schools in one town. It's kind of funny. That's right. And now we're working together. So yeah, so uh, she, you know, barely graduated high school, didn't, uh, uh, didn't get a college degree. And then from that uh, became rose up in the ranks of two publicly traded companies to be a senior vice president. Um, and so she is just an amazing woman, breast cancer survivor, was a president of Susan B. Komen Foundation, president of the American Business Women's Association, all of this with, um, you know, the background that she had. She's just a huge inspiration for me. So, And your first venture. Oh, yeah. The first <laughs> venture. Oh, my gosh. So we had, we, we loved. It's priceless. The picture we've got to put in the show notes if we can, but go Oh, ahead. gosh. Well, we, we love dogs. We love animals at our house. Uh, and actually, when I was a kid, one of our side businesses was we would, uh, we were uh, raising Dalmatians. Um, and so me having six, seven, ten puppies at a time that I needed to feed, uh, I didn't want to get in the puppy pen. So I literally built a chute out of a old gutter that I found in my house called the like feeding trough. And essentially <laughs> I would like feed the, 
the puppies down the pipe and it was 9.99 back in i don't even know maybe even 99 i don't yeah. even know it before much before then but uh, any 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 customers uh, we had one customer, <laughs> and that was me. So <laughs> humble beginnings. That's great. So Rebecca, you you joined the team recently. Uh, also very impressive, just professional background. But you know, born and raised not too far from Louisville. So talk to us about your your kind of your story. Yeah. So I am from Western Kentucky, and I think I told you, Bryce, I'm a ninth generation Kentuckian. Uh, Which is so. awesome. That's epic. <laughs> I mean, for a person like myself uh, that moved all over the place, that, yeah. that that's a cool thing that I just, it doesn't, I don't know how to even think about that. Yeah. Uh, well, it is very cool. And I, I care a lot about the state of Kentucky and the people who live here. Um, but I left, I, at the time, as a teenager, could not wait to leave. Hmm. Uh, and so left to get, as my family would say, thoroughly Yankee-fied. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I studied neuroscience at Brown University and Yale University, and I couldn't believe how much being from Kentucky sort of really reintegrated itself into my identity once gone, hmm. um, and I couldn't couldn't wait to get back. Um, so landed here because I've, I've got a brother here and really just planned to have a short stopover post-grad school before I figured out the rest of my life, but and here here I am <laughs> Wake, cool. waking up years later and still still here so why neuroscience I have always had an interest in um, problems of all kinds um, neuroscience has some particularly hairy ones uh, I think I came at it from a computer science and math angle and had to in because um, that was always my interest growing up I did a lot of programming, uh, a lot of QBasic, <laughs> a lot of DOS prompts in my past. And, um, but at, in college had to do some work study, um, and ended up washing dishes in a neuroscience lab. And I fell in love with how, uh, squishy and, and gross and messy the, 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 the wet side of neuroscience is and, um, have been chasing that ever since. So, so both of you are steeped and have been in your professional careers in you know science and research, uh, entrepreneurship, innovation, ecosystems, um, and now with Render, um, that's kind of part and parcel to kind of the work that you're doing. But I'd love to kind of start with you know looking at the Louisville, Kentucky, and, and the work that you both have done uh, leading up to this point. What is what is it about Louisville, um, and maybe more broadly the Midwest? that oftentimes the coasts don't understand. Um, they kind of, one, they lump us all into one. It's the Midwest, mm -hmm. right? Everything in the flyover states is, is a monolithic experience. So what is it that that is distinct about us? What is it that, that the coasts don't understand? And and what is it that people like yourselves have been working and, and, and striving to build um, so that our community can compete uh, on the national scale? That's a big question. It is. With a lot of sub-questions. Uh, Take it I, wherever you want. I think one of the one of the more interesting things about the kind of you know don't get us on the coast feel is the is the rapid connectivity that we can have and the foundations that those connections are built upon, right? When you so I moved from San Francisco to Cincinnati, like I said, and and you can go and meet and be and touch a lot of people, uh, but it lacks much authenticity. 
right? Where, where you move to the Midwest. Um, and it's just like when we lived in, uh, when my wife and I lived in Germany, you know, it, it might take longer to become friends, but you become friends for a lifetime, right? Um, it's not just this instantaneous, uh, instantaneous connect. Um, so that's one piece. The other piece that I think, um, a lot of folks on the coast just don't get is, um, how uh, transmittable the Midwest is, you know, in, in Louisville, Kentucky, we're an hour, hour and a half away from Cincinnati and Indianapolis and, you know, two hours away from Nashville, right? When I grew up in Texas or even lived in San Francisco, you're, I mean, hours and hours and hours away from other major cities, right? And right here, even in Louisville, I think somebody was telling me the other day, uh, we're within like, I don't know, 18 hours of 80% of America by drive time. Um, I mean, it's absolutely incredible how close we are just here in the center of America. So we've talked about these things, and I think, you know, to kind of push back a little bit, Cincinnati can claim the same statistic, right? Sure. Lexington can claim the same statistic. So I think oftentimes we beat the kind of the worn-out drum of low cost of living, accessibility to the to the eastern seaboard and the population of the United States. And what we've seen in Louisville specifically, um, just because that's where we sit, uh, we still are continuously falling behind peer cities. Mm-hmm. In fact, five years ago when we were doing peer city analysis, Nashville was a peer city. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about Nashville as a peer city because it's quite surpassed um, us. And so what is, from your perspective, like what are the things that continue to hinder our region's ability to advance? Yeah, I'll jump in here and then toss it over to Rebecca. For, from my perspective, the number one thing is risk tolerance. And that risk tolerance, from my perspective, you know, like I said, living in at twenty different addresses, is exposure. Um, and I think it's it's legitimately just the unknown, and it's not a, it's not a fear; it's just the not known, right? And so that that oscillates our risk tolerance and make us makes us lean into the things that we do know about. Which in, here in our own backyard, it's real estate, it's equine, it's bourbon, it's you know maybe some pharma, but people don't realize that. You know, while they might talk at the country club or you know at the at the university club about uh, being partners in a horse uh, or buying fractional shares of a horse, that's the same thing when it comes to uh, being a uh, an angel investor in a startup. They're fractional shares. Uh, you're betting on the jockey, right, which is the founder, or you're betting on the horse, which is the industry, <laughs> right? Um, so there's multiple factors inside of that, but we just have to get more exposure to what's out there in the world to help those risk tolerances uh, calibrate. Yeah, I think that's all right. And um, I was in in a related note, and I think maybe it's part of the culture, too. I I think, and this is painting the Midwest with a broad brush, but we're less inclined to toot our own horns Mm. (laughs) when it comes to uh, celebrating and amplifying wins across the community. And so then we don't hear those stories that you can sort of put yourself in when you hear about um, a risky venture that paid off. for the success of your community. And, and I think that extends beyond an individual's sort of choice to take capital risks, but also to our business community too. I think having an engaged uh, corporate community willing to take some risks totally. is something that um, we're working on building and yeah. render. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think taking those risks, but also understanding the risks that those founders have taken, even if they don't win, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're basically getting an MBA in the school of hard knocks if you fail at a startup, yeah. right? 
Um, and now corporates are starting to understand and realize the value of that, of understanding and managing those type of things and pitching and understanding how capital markets work, even if a failure happens and they're able to consume them back in the kind of the, the figurative death stars, if you will. Uh, but I think, again, that's that's exposure. We just need to get more exposure. Well, that's interesting. I mean, because I think that was – I was literally on a panel this morning uh, talking about national security and American dynamism. I mean, so mm-hmm. interesting topic, but one of the things that they talked about was ecosystems that seem to be thriving or ones where there's a permission to fail. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and at the federal and the state level, how do we actually create uh, a culture – that enables failure, uh, allows for failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, Rebecca, I'm curious of your thoughts, uh, given your experience in academia, but like at universities, for example, how do we create structures or pathways for professors that are developing intellectual property to be able to step out and take that risk? And if something does fail, which most of them might, that they have a landing place back at the university. Or it could be a corporation. Somebody inside of a corporation has a really interesting idea but they're maybe able to take a sabbatical. And how do we create those? And are we seeing anything like that? And what would that mean for an ecosystem if something like that was present in a Louisville, Kentucky? That That's the, <laughs> that's the big question, right? I mean, I think uh, cracking the nut of how to mm. translate academic science to the marketplace uh, is it hasn't been done. Yeah. Um, and part of it, I think, is that academia has its own demons to mm. wrestle, right? Mm-hmm. Even um, if you're if you're a scientist and you leave academia for a little while to maybe get some industry experience, whether you're whether a big pharma company or in even a small startup, um, it's really hard for you to get back. And mm. it's it's a cultural um, thing, and that's changing slowly. Um, but also, I think it, it's hard for universities whose main goals are to educate a, a, a new generation of humans to be great citizens, to um, put on the hat that is required to think about translating a technology to the market. Yeah. It's just not part of their core competency, and, and, and it's not part of what they're built and designed to do, mm-hmm. which um, which is good in some ways, right? We need good, good citizens who um, are critical thinkers for the talent pipeline, but it, it, it also, you know, um, we had a lot of NIH and dollar investment into the Midwest and, um, our track record of translating that, that research is not as great as it is on the coasts. Hmm. You also mentioned, uh, corporations and, and kind of corporate engagement in, in this, what does that look? Cause I, I agree. And I think as you know, if you're an ecosystem builder, or someone trying to kind of pioneer something different, that's something that always comes up. How do we get corporates involved? And, you know, in Louisville, and I'm sure it's familiar to, to many people across the country, corporates, uh, y- y- if the corporate headquarters reside in your zip code or in your city or in your county or whatever, you have a lot more likelihood uh, of, of getting engagement because it's their own backyard, it's mm-hmm. their own people. Um, and so what does that look like for... so? Two questions almost kind of simultaneously. One, corporate innovation and and the the hurdles of getting corporate engagement to build more thriving ecosystems. And then second to that, how can we do that if the corporate headquarters continue to get um, so big, so large, gobbled up, you know, through strategic acquisitions or whatever, or they leave and what we get are logistics hubs um, or um, the IT section of the corporate office. So we're now losing that direct engagement. So what does that look like and how do we press into kind of corporate aspects of, of entrepreneurial ecosystems? Yeah, well, I think it's an interesting question because that's what Render is here based on, you know, 
Rebecca and I's background is to really solve and solution build around because Render at our core is an innovation studio, right? Where we fundamentally believe um, in a world where opportunities outweigh obstacles. And what we do is help those corporations unlock those um, new ideas to solve those problems. But to get there, um, you have to have somebody like the founding story of, of Centerfuse, where uh, Bob McDonald, who at the time, fellow West Pointer, um, was the CEO, then went on to be the secretary of the VA, and now is doing great things, even in his own right, in, in angel investing. Um, but you have to have uh, a champion like that that sits around the table with their peers and says, Bryce, you're in. Rebecca, you're in. You know, XYZ Co., you're in, right? Because it takes the exposure and it's got to take a gravitas of a Procter and Gamble or a Humana or a Yum or somebody that says, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do this because we care authentically about our community. I love that answer. And um, I would just add that I think corporate engagement is also one of those drums that we beat on a lot. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's suffered because we don't always know what we mean when we say corporate engagement or our audience mm -hmm. doesn't. Right. Great. And so that, um, I think it can, it can take on a role that's more performative in a, a in a yep. corporation, um, than, and then that's great. Everyone goes home and it's, it's, it's uh, a happy feeling, but the being able to demonstrate that there was value in that interaction right. is, is the part that we're really trying to capture. And, and well, that's the, that's the problem that we dealt with at Centerfuse was, uh, uh, and love and amazing time. There are lots of learnings interacting with the corporates, but oftentimes in the early days, we ended up as the figurative corporate innovation petting zoo, right? We helped 300 some odd startups get access to corporates through pilots, but it was literally just a, a, a petting series. And they went off and I'm sure less than half of them or 10% actually turned into value producing entities, right? Even if that value was just a learning, right? Um, so that's what we, where we need to get to is turning these early pilots or these early programs into solving real problems inside these corporations. Yeah. And I think, I think both of you have really hit it on its head because I think your your definition or like hey the problem is oftentimes we we aren't looking at corporate engagement from the right perspective because I think that's oftentimes when I hear people talk about corporate engagement what it is it's like corporates need to in, involve themselves in what's happening in the community and I think they would say we are um, and we do and that does matter to us but that's community engagement um, and that's a different bucket, you know, I've, and not to name yep. names, but there was a, uh, a, a corporate executive I was talking to recently, and they just said, quite frankly, said our market's not a significant market for them. And so they have a presence and they're going to do stuff. But if we keep knocking on that door, we're going to continue to get the table scraps. Where we really get the hearts and the minds of these companies is if we can solve their problems. That's right. And I think that's one of the, you know, so switching gears to render. And I think what's really interesting about what you're trying to build through render um, is recognizing that the, the path to corporate engagement is solving their problems. That's exactly right. Yeah. And sometimes it starts with those senior executives saying, sit down, put your money on the table. Like that's where it starts. And the and is on the other side of that, and it has to produce value, right? Um, and to Rebecca's point, oftentimes we don't talk about the value that's produced even outside of their own walls, right? Some of our earliest customers at Render um, or some of the largest corporations in town and some of the most amazing, impactful middle market companies in town and huge nonprofits, yeah. 
right? Nonprofits need this help too. So when we say the word corporates, it's not just, you know, the big downtown towers. It's, you know, the 50, $150 million revenue companies that still need to uh, understand how and where to innovate. Yeah. And I think that's a, an interesting, and I don't know if you want to kind of give us some ideas of what that looks like uh, in our market. But I think oftentimes as a community member, when we hear corporations, we jump to the Fortune 500, the mm-hmm. Fortune 50. And we forget that actually some of the the biggest contributors, because they actually have a presence, they're going to see their employees in the grocery store, or they're going to walk down the street when they're walking their dog and say hi to, to someone that works in HR, are these mid-market companies. That's right. And they still need to be innovative. They still need to constantly reinvent themselves, but maybe they're not even as substantial in size to have their own innovation group. Mm-hmm. And so where do they turn to? Uh, because the you know you mentioned Humana or the Yums, they're large enough. They've got their own R and D teams. They've got their own corporate M and A, um, and they're partnering and they're looking across a global economy and saying where do we go and how do we acquire new whatever. Uh, these mid market companies are still trying to compete as well, but they don't have the same resource. So what does that look like? Well, the and I'll say even the Humanas and Yums of the world, they have their own innovation teams but they are so large hmm. that those innovation teams can't touch every single business unit and every single P&L holder. And back to Rebecca's comment earlier, that's why value has to be driven for the P&L, for the profit and loss leader, right? Because those are the folks inside of the organizations that are making the decisions, making the decision to say, hey, this is producing value. Let's dump more money in that direction. Yeah, I think, and it's also you know, kind of uh, exciting to hear the narrative change around what it means to invest in your community as mm-hmm. a as a corporate uh, member. And it's, um, I think there's starting to be some enlightenment around the idea that the health of your business um, is related to the health of the community where it sits. Mm-hmm. And um, you can put, you know, out of that investment bucket, you can sponsor a 5K and feel mm-hmm. good about your community involvement. But we need to do a better job in showing that there is a direct path to value mm-hmm. in interacting with the broader innovation ecosystem. That's great. Which I think also leads into one of my questions was going to be around like, what renders a public benefit corporation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so why is that important? And, and how do you think that's a differentiator as you're working to create value for these partners? Yeah, so first and foremost is authenticity. Um, I think that's something in the Midwest uh, that we still need to focus on is being authentic and being ourselves. Um, And at the same time, back to the exposure piece, having an all boats will rise mentality, right? Um, And I just don't think that we're there yet. There, There are so many tiny fiefdoms still that exist where people think if I don't control this one piece of the pie, then I'm not going to get any more pie. And it's like, well, there's an entire table buffet out there in the world. Like, let's all go feast and eat and work together. So that's that's one thing. And the other side of the equation, honestly, is with where the world are going, where the world is going today, I feel that every single, at the very least, venture fund, if not venture studio, is going to have some type of impact lens in the future because we have to, right? There are so many things in this world that are such huge problems. Um, we have to focus and default um, to impact. So that's why, we, that's why we're a public benefit corporation. Well, and I think, and I'll let you also respond, Rebecca, but um, at Access, for example, we talk about um, every business has impact. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we talk about that a lot. So it's either it's either positive impact, it's negative impact, or it's neutral, right? In so far as like the community, the environment, how it impacts its employees, its associates, or whatever. But there is it's having an impact, mm-hmm. and so I think uh, to your point, 
um, as we've seen the world of business kind of open its eyes to whether it's ESG on the public equities market yep. or uh, impact investing more broadly uh, or next gen kind of wealth owners that mm -hmm. say, no, at the end of the day, we need to talk about true cost as it relates to sustainable agriculture or whatever it may be. And there's people that are now demanding this as consumers and companies recognize, okay, I've got to, I've got to think about that. So, uh, and so Rebecca, I don't know on the public benefit side, if, if you think about like, as you're working with customers, um, and, and partners in the community, um, how do you explain that differentiation and why that matters to the, to the work that we're doing? Yeah, I think Patrick hit it really well, but, um, you, sort of have to need to demonstrate that the value coming back is going mm -hmm. to be in the form of uh, an activated talent pool mm -hmm. who wants to work at a at a company that can very clearly demonstrate its impact in the community and um, in the broader sort of stage. And I think that's a you know I, I, the top pain points that 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 I hear out in the community from the corporate side is we can't can't hire enough talent mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. you know we need modern infrastructure <laughs> that's right yeah because yeah, long gone are the days where you know somebody's going to sit inside of a tower for 40 years and get their retirement and then go you know live on a farm right yeah. uh folks are doing you know these figurative and we recognize them bryce from the army but they're doing their figurative tours of duty right it's two three five years at a location and then they're using that time talent resource expertise to go somewhere else right um, and so if we want to keep people, if we want to retain people, we have to be focused on impact and align with where they want to be as humans, not just where they want to be on a pay scale. Yeah. And I think what's, what's really fascinating is uh, talent, infrastructure. Historically, we've said, okay, how, what's the government doing mm -hmm. to invest in these things? And I think what we're recognizing is, as community members and as, as business owners or people working at businesses – that's actually a bottom line impact, right? So yep. as a negative impact on my ability to succeed as a business, we've got to figure this out. It's not some external government, although we need to work with them. How as a corporation are we thinking about our own workforce and development and infrastructure and all of those different aspects of, of doing work? Yeah, and that's really what's informed kind of our innovation as a service model with Render. So, you know, using the government or, you know, the Forrester or Gartner example, you know, we kind of view innovation on a spectrum where all the way on the right-hand side, you can have these board-level decisions. You spend tens of millions of dollars implementing these huge Forrester or Gartner study levels of reports that take five, seven, ten years to implement. You know 100% that's going to work, right? Or on the other side of the equation, you're hearing from a thousand call center, you know, tickets that you got to change this widget or this gadget or add this feature or I need this function or whatever, um, you know, that's 100% going to work. But that's incremental, right? It's not real innovation. Where we view it as there's this middle ground where it's only a 50 to 80% win rate, right? And it's really innovation as a service, right? It doesn't cost $10 million to implement. It's 50 to $150,000. But you got to take these multiple risks, these multiple bets to learn and to measure from what that looks like so you can expand into the future. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to say it. I mean, render really takes the form of a catalyst, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why um, we we can't hope that the government or any sort of big um, organization is going to come into communities, very local, um, sort of hyper specialized and be able to pull the levers that, that we can pull. Um, you're right. So a catalyst, you, you stick it in a test tube full of reagents that will maybe interact slowly over the course of, you know, days, but the catalyst immediately lowers that energy barrier to mm. interaction. And mm. 
Um, I love scientists. Yeah, <laughs> creates this low pathway for <laughs> for creating the product. And I think anyone who's had the privilege of doing um, sort of the work around ecosystem building, which we all have. Oh yeah. Um, knows that you've got to solve the the body problem first. You need a certain amount of density. And I think That's Louis, right. Louis is there. And we yeah, have, we're definitely getting there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love the ecosystem model. I, I'm not a scientist, just a civil engineer. Uh, so so I my default science answer is the ninth grade, like biology, two-liter bottle terrarium example. You got to have the right things in the terrarium, right? You can't just stick one thing in there and be like, hey, we've got this big, huge tree in the middle of the terrarium. They're going to be great for everything else, right? You got to have the smaller flowers. And just like how and where we invest at Render Capital, right, um, we invest across the spectrum. It's not just the high growth, you know, um, equity plays. It's the good folks coffees of the world. It's the Louisville creams. It's the Kentucky straight ices. It's the fresh fries that then grow into an uh, sure. equity-backed company. I, I would love to hear how your analogy of the body finishes, like, Oh, well. Related to ecosystems. So you start with the body and then what do you go to? Well, I was thinking of more of a test tube. But I wasn't getting that crazy. Okay, cool. Um, I'm not going to explain the example. <laughs> We're not going to. I was like, oh, no. How this long is, is some this new, This is some new analogy for how to think about ecosystems. It's great. I love it. No, I mean, the ecosystem itself is a, is a very science word. That's right? true. Uh, it is. It's, it's about how things inter- interact with each other. And, and uh, I like the catalyst. Um, analogy uh because it perfectly explains what we do it just Mm -hmm. takes and and biologically it just takes one or two little enzymes in a big Mm -hmm. test tube to to get that job done and it happens very fast and the catalyst moves on to the next thing that's a great analogy yeah so you mentioned render capital yep so render public benefit corporation innovation as a service that's right uh what is render capital um, and how does it relate to render? Um, and why is it important that we have both this kind of this source of capital and what it's trying to do in the ecosystem and this this new company, Render, uh, providing that service? Yeah, so the importance of it is exactly what Rebecca just said. It's the catalyst, right? We, we arguably don't have in our backyard any institutional investors actively deploying capital that are right here in downtown Louisville. We've had a couple throughout the years. Some funds are ended or resolved, or we've got some kind of super-ish angel groups that are happening, but we don't have a dedicated staff of individuals that are focused on catalyzing the access to capital and reducing that barrier to capital, right? And even the firms that did exist, they only had one flavor, right? They didn't have one of the first in the nation or the first in the nation crowdfunded equity match, right? Render has that. Um, they don't have character-based loans, right? For the unbanked, underbanked, or unbankable, right? Where businesses need early stage capital, but and we love our bank partners, but they can't walk into the front door of a bank and not have to hawk their house or car or boat or whatever to start their business, right? So we need this continuum of capital to be able to uh, build and catalyze the ecosystem. And on the render side, we need those connections with the corporates, right? Because those customers um, are critical to the success of those startups, right? They need capital to get started, right? But then they need customers to be able to sustain. And that third leg of the of the figurative triangle or, or stool is talent, right? So customers, uh, capital, and talent are all critical pieces of kind of the next generation of where our ecosystem needs to go. So, so what's next? So you're launched. Uh, you're building the team. You're you're working with with customers. Uh, you're 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 building out kind of the narrative. I think obviously people needing to understand kind of why and what corporate innovation really is and what we're talking about, like corporate engagement. What does that mean? 
so what does 2022 look like? What are you hoping to accomplish over the next 12, 18 months? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is catalyzing more of these relationships and interactions, especially as we, because we're such a relational society and because we're such relational humans, you know, getting back in person is is helpful um, to that. Building that trust in person is very helpful. Um, but the other interesting thing about us being apart for so long is it's also making the close the coasts come in closer, right? Mm. Whether that's virtually or physically, we have an amazing opportunity back on the talent side to boomerang people back to our region, right? A lot of people don't know that some of the largest companies in the U.S., some of the fastest growing startups in the U.S., some of their most senior ranking employees live and work in Louisville, right? And it's all because of the accessibility of remote work now, right? Mm. Um, so for us in 2022, I think the biggest thing is um, catalyzing deeper innovation um, and unlocking, frankly, more capital throughout the ecosystem to be able to put to work and, and build and grow and catalyze the great work that's already being done in our backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I all of that sounds great. And I, I think we need to get really good at telling the story mm-hmm. about why why this is valuable to um, engage in your ecosystem this way and um, how it can change your business. Yeah, I agree. I think that the interesting thing, one of the learnings that I've had is, you know, sometimes I jokingly say a knuckle-dragging engineer, um, is I'm used to, you know, problems that have variables and resources and you output a solution on the other side. But the thing that uh, civil en- my civil engineering training didn't tell me about was the story <laughs> and why the story is so important to the data, right? Data, you know, there's this analogy, and maybe we can put it in the show notes, uh, but basically of Legos, right? And the difference between, um, you know, a jumbled block, uh, which is raw data, right? And organized, which is segmented, organized Legos, which is segmented. And then the story is a whole house built out of Legos, right? It's all from the same raw material, right? But the story is the important part that really helps people see where and how and who and when to interact with that said uh, raw material. That's great. And Rebecca, I think in kind of in closing, I think it's interesting. One aspect we haven't really hit on is your role as director of product. Um, I think, and you're and you're relatively new. Uh, given your background, you've done a ton with academia, corporations. But I think it's really interesting that Render uh, hired a director of product, and and I think also innovation as a service that they think about the services they're providing as a product. Um, and so, talk to us a little bit about that and kind of how you you've kind of settled into kind of this new company that's been formed. Yeah, well, it's been really exciting. And uh, because it's new, I have have product development experience, but inside of academia, uh, for the most part, and um, in making physical products. <laughs> yeah, like literally physical products that you can touch, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I love thinking about it in this way, but it, it really is um, in innovation as a service really is a product that you can um, put into someone's hands and measure its impact. Mm. And um, I, 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 that's how we've been thinking about it at Render, and, and it's, it's what makes it exciting. That's great. And I think it comes full circle to kind of some of the stuff, Patrick, you just even started with around a community of connection, mm-hmm. right? And so one of the differentiators for Louisville, unlike some of the coastal cities we talk about, is the ability to access networks and connections so much faster. Yep. And so innovation as a service is uh, the product outcome is 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 that connection and, and synergy so mm-hmm. totally and i'll say too you know 
Um, so we were in Miami a couple months ago with uh, one of our awesome uh, kind of partners, uh, Brian Burkeen from um, Lightship, and he was doing his figurative Miami tour. By the way, if you're down there, he's the greatest advocate <laughs> for Miami. Um, and I'm citing my sources, but we were meeting with the CTO of, of the city, and he said, I want everybody in my network to know everybody in my network. So I'd encourage literally everybody who's listening, uh, please connect with us on LinkedIn, follow us. If there's anybody in our collective networks that can add value, uh, provide insight, or even just feedback on what you're doing, please reach out, let us know how we can help. We want to literally and physically be the catalyst that Rebecca was talking about to lower those barriers. Render has a new exciting partnership with Louisville's Chamber of Commerce, Greater Louisville Inc. More details coming soon, but if you're a GLI investor, find out more about how to work with Render through your chamber representative or contact them at workwithrender.com. If you're an entrepreneur in Louisville or Southern Indiana and looking for capital to scale your business, check out render.capital. That's it for this week's episode. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and write us a review. This is the best way for other listeners like you to find our podcast. More Than Profit is a podcast from Access Ventures, a private operating foundation with a mission to build a more inclusive and creative economy. Learn more about the work of Access Ventures at accessventures.org. Production, editing, graphic design, and social media is by Render. I'm your host, Bryce Butler. Thanks for listening.